Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Adam and Joel for another episode of Horror Express, and we're doing a Stephen King month, beginning with Creepshow. Technically, we started with a debate on Sleepwalkers, uh, which Joel won, uh, and the, the verdict <laughs> was that it is not a good movie. Um, it might have even been more harsh than I can't quite remember, but it was. It didn't go in my favor. I would say it was more harsh to interrupt here, just because mm. I... I... I thought I, I thought it was I, I kind of found it entertaining but hugely flawed mm. was kind of my impression. So the so. the entertaining but hugely flawed Sleepwalkers was sort of our yeah. our bridge into Stephen King, and and now <laughs> and now we're doing now we're doing Creepshow, um, which uh which I, I get so before we even get into Creepshow, which is a 1982 George Romero film with a screenplay by Stephen King, where does this fall for you guys in terms of being a proper Stephen King movie because sleepwalkers obviously had the issue of being just a script and not based on a story. And my understanding is this is based on a couple of short stories, but mostly it's, it's, it's scripts yeah. that he wrote uh, for each of the sequences, except for like two. Um, so does this, does this qualify as a proper Stephen King movie for you? Like, what does it, what does it take to be a real Stephen King movie? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I, for me, I don't know how official you want to make this uh, perspective, but for me, there's kind of two Stephen Kings. There's the the novel Stephen King, which can get a little tiresome. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's the short story Stephen King, who is one of my favorite writers. Okay. And this is kind of like a short story Stephen King film. None of these, some of these premises are kind of lame, <laughs> but none of them overstay their welcome. And the overall effect is one of enormous entertainment. So even though it has like high points and low points in a movie, um, I, I really like that. And it feels genuine to the way he writes. So I, I would say it's a real Stephen King movie, but real Stephen King with the caveat of the short story, Stephen King. Yeah, I would, I would agree with everything you'd said, you said, and I'd add too that this, this, you have to also keep in mind that this is very specific Stephen King because mm -hmm. they're going for that whole comic book effect. Yeah. There's plenty, there's a lot of Stephen King. I, I, you know, I do agree. Stephen King short stories are on the whole better than his novels. But there's there's a much wider range of short stories than you're seeing in this. And uh, for clarification, too, the ones that are actually based off of short stories are Lonesome Death of Jordy Verrill, which is based on Weeds, and uh, The Crate, which is based on The Crate. And it's interesting, too, because Weeds is actually an obscure story. That was in a magazine. It was never printed anywhere. So I've never read that story. But uh, it's, you know... Yeah, the, the movie version is really the only version you can easily get your hands on. And uh, and yeah, and and this definitely has the like you were saying, this movie has got that tone to it. It's both. It's based on a comic book, well, not based on a comic book. They're going for like a Tales from the Crypt type vibe and like a mm. kind of like trashy comic horror vibe. Yeah. But also, it's Every it's sort of the beginning of that early '80s tone of movie, especially with horror. Yeah. Um. And uh. You know, so much so that one of the surprises for this when I went back and watched it was I I forgot how early this was. I for some reason I imagined this being a 1984, 85 film, but 82 is pretty early. Um, oh, and yeah. it and it even kind of looks I don't know it it, it uh, like if if I, if I watched the movie without the date, I would assume it was mid 80s. I wouldn't assume that it was 82. For um, me, yeah, eighty-two is a little old, a little early for me to be watching this kind of movie anyway. So mm -hmm. I, I, I know why you you feel that way because I didn't see it till later in the eighties. Yeah, that might have been part of it. I, it probably is one of those movies that I wouldn't have seen until eighty-five or eighty-six, anyways, because I was mm -hmm. like all of, 
I don't know, five years old when it came out, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so, uh, here's, here's how I think we should do this. If you guys want to give any opening statements about the movie, we should do that. And then I think you think we should take it bit by bit. Cause this is a film that isn't one story. It's a bunch of little short stories, basically, or short movies. And I don't know, unless you object to doing it that way, but I feel like that might be the best way. Oh, we should just do it just like Creepshow did. We'll start off talking about the broad overview, do it bit by bit, and then end with our final thoughts about okay. the broad overview. Okay. That's how they right. did it. It worked for them. All right. So any any broad overview thoughts on on the movie? Ooh, past the past the Stephen King short story energy. Um, let me see. I I will say this is kind of one of those movies. It's not quite as uh it's not something I religiously watch again. It's not like um Videodrome or Alien, where I've, I can make a point to watch it several times a year, but I do watch this at least once or twice a year. Like I really love this movie. Okay. Um, so I, I'm definitely biased in all of my opinions, but to kind of balance that, I did actually uh, show this to my girlfriend who had never seen it before, and she thought it was a corny turd. So it could uh-huh. go either direction, I think, for people, for sure. I could totally, especially now after after the the era has passed um yes the, uh, this is very yeah. much a well it, there was a chunk of the 80s if i'm remembering them correctly mind you i was a baby but i i seem to remember this at least in the mid 90s looking back on it that like was kind of lampooning the 50s and this feels yeah, like that yeah mm-hmm. there was there was like a resurgence of 50s style like a lot of a lot of stuff in the 80s to me feels like a weird fusion of like Baroque and 1950s aesthetics. Yeah. That makes I don't know why. Yeah. Um, you had that kind of starting with the movie Grease in the late 70s. You had that whole weird 50s revival that went on. You had Happy Days, all of that stuff going on. But, and, I, yeah, but even is, in the um, even like in the late 80s, there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of cover songs of 50s and 60s pop music yep. do you remember that like, there were yeah. there were and, and there uh, were originals too like the whole we're gonna rock this town song it's very very scat very 50s um yeah yeah i know what you're talking yeah there was that too there was there, there was sort of sort of like the uh the the swing explosion in the 90s that we had one summer yeah where everybody was in a swing band I mean, all of a sudden that yeah um, but they, there's i'd also add too that for the 50s thing too that the fifties loom really large in Stephen King books, like, you know, oh, yeah. flashbacks to people's children in the fifties and that kinds of thing. And yeah. So I, I guess that's, so that's another thing. This is the eighties and this is basically when our, so if you were, if you were like me and Adam's age, I think this is like, like our parents would have grown up in the fifties and this would have been yeah. when they were basically adults in control of the world kind of, or, you know, like, uh, you know, in their thirties and forties and in that, that sort of age range. And so, yeah. like stand by me and stuff like that you're talking about like everything kind of harken back to the 50s and the 60s so yeah and yeah. i'll say too in, in Stephen king's defense too it's not like a lot of that 50s stuff was really really just feeding people nostalgia gooey nostalgia it's like Stephen king's 50s seems pretty horrible it's like you know yep. small town maine in the 50s he does not glamorize in any way <laughs> whatsoever it's like i don't want to live in Stephen king's 1950s well i think it's, <laughs> the 50s is an interesting topic for a whole other thing but i think the interesting thing about it is it can go in either direction yeah like that. that's yeah. kind of the cool thing about it and definitely here i mean it's a horror thing so it's it's definitely going like well, we'll, exactly. and, and we'll get into it in specific it instances um okay 
Actually, but, going going off the fifties thing, there's an intentional corniness to the whole movie. Mm-hmm. There's an intentional use of like bright, lurid neon lights and weird camera angles and hammy acting. And this is all on purpose from the people that are making it. Like they, like, I think uh, one of the things, the little notes I was reading in my Amazon drop down was that they told Stephen King to act like he was Wiley e. Coyote falling off a cliff. Like you don't give someone that stage direction unless you're going for like comedic overacting well, that is intentionally artificial. And they're giving and that I direction to a non-actor too, right? He's not, yes. he's not, you know. Which by the way, he nails it. I love the only at the Georgia. I, I, I'm gonna, I, I got to kind of disagree with you on this one, but like, oh, we'll, I, we'll get to yeah. it. This will be fun. Yeah. When we this get to that one, I have some strong opinions. Disagreement is on Jordy Barrel. <laughs> I have strong opinions about that one. Um, I, well, I'll, I'll say this. The, the first, when, when I, when I was rewatching this, I, I actually had a sinking feeling for the first, not the ep, not the opening, but for the first two bits, because I was like, Ooh, this didn't age as well as I remembered. And it's not till you Ooh, get to the, that first one definitely, but I yeah. have, I had thoughts on it. So yeah. we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, We'll too. get to that. But then it, oh, then it kind of rises time. up, you know, uh, and like, like and, the inexorable tie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so why don't we get it? So the prologue, why don't we talk about the prologue, which I, I think is interesting for all kinds of reasons, but basically this is the scene where the, the, the really angry father comes in and takes away the boys creep show, comic which is the frame for the whole thing and i don't know this this encapsulates a lot of stuff but i just number one the kid is 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 kind of evil number one so you have like the evil kid kind of thing going on but there's a certain level of justification because the dad is being (laughs) such an angry douchebag like the way that like you're supposed to be rooting for this kid even though yeah you know it goes in a very mind too watching this movie for the first time this was the height of the satanic panic against dungeons and dragons too as a dungeons and dragons player my parents played DD, so they weren't jerks about it but i was seeing stuff like this every day with my friends oh my 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 D &D stuff got taken away during that time so and my uh, heavy metal music but my my dad was not at all like this guy but like i but but this kind of, I mean, it, it's a caricature, but I do remember dads like this. Like, it's not oh, yeah. that far off. No, in, no. you knew this guy back yeah. in the 80s. If he yeah. wasn't your dad, he was your friend's dad. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, yeah. And it's not even that exaggerated. This really was a kind of person that existed. It's supposed to be exaggerated. I, but I, I I'm assuming I'm assuming this kind of person still exists. They just aren't as loud about it anymore. But I think the difference back then was you could be this way and almost be proud of it back then. It's something oh, I yeah. remember. Like, I do remember... Yeah. Yeah, this Go, was a lifestyle you could adopt. Yeah. Is loud asshole. Yeah, alert. Um, and so, so, what was his line? That's what dads are for, oh, right? Wow. So that's oh, why wow. they made. That's why God made dads, right? It was yeah. Uh, An interesting note too is that the boy Billy is uh, Joe Hill. He's actually yep. Stephen King's son, who's now a famous writer in his own right. Very and good a writer. Good too. writer. Yeah. No high <laughs> recommendation for Joe Hill. Runs yeah. the family apparently. Yeah, yeah, I had any chance for a Joe Hill promotion, I had to yeah. throw that in there. And, so. and I'm noting that the description does describe him as an abusive father. I think we should note, though, it's it's verbal abuse as far as we can tell. I mean, I wouldn't he be surprised. He the face. Did he? I don't remember that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Before we see that kid, we see him. That wasn't a big deal in the eighties. That was that was only well, yeah. well, no, well, to, the there, there, the well, there was a difference back then. I think between like a slap and like a kid that got deeply you know what i mean there was the line was blurrier but but okay you had to to get further into it than just hitting the kid once you had to hit them several times if they didn't go into the er it wasn't abuse well no i'm not saying that i'm just saying like 
I'm yeah, just no, saying this was saying is it's very different in no, the 80s. Like, well, what I'm trying to say is hitting your kid was it, nowadays you spank your kid. People call that child abuse. But like back in the day, that slap across the face, he could have gotten away with that. Well, like, he, people school wouldn't have batted an eye. Like it would depend. It would it depend it, I'd say in the 80s, it de- kind of depended. I mean, it was yeah. regional social strata whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, there was a, you could get away with it in a lot of segments of society. What, what I remember was this is when we were sort of first becoming aware of that yes. topic. And so, yes. in fact, I remember there was a Silver Spoons episode about parent, and they were actually de- explaining what it was, if I recall, because it wasn't something that. It wasn't. It wasn't as clearly defined for the general public, I think, as it is. Yeah, today. it wasn't as culturally um, saturated as an understanding. Yeah. When I think of like having being a father myself, hitting your kids is a pretty natural response to these annoying little goblins. <laughs> I don't, but I could see why through most of human history, people did. I, my mom slapped me in the face once when I gave her sass dog. It happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't feel like abuse because at that point I was like fourteen and I was much larger than her, so I just was kind of surprised by it. Like, <laughs> wow, mom slapped me. That's new. And I just backed off. But like, yeah, uh, that's I, I I understand why it became insisted. And yeah, it, especially during this time, people like, I, I just don't, the, the child abuse conversations I remember from being a kid was my parents talking to each other, defending how much they would spank us and other forms of punishment like that. And then later on, like a decade later, it was, how monstrous it was to spank kids after we were all teenagers and it was a non-issue for them anymore. Um, well, it, it was, it changed, it changed. I was, I was from the generation where we still got spanked. My dad only spanked me once or twice. So like, I don't, I, I never remember really getting much from my dad, yeah, I, but my mom, I my really mom used to slap me happened. and that, and it wasn't considered abusive at all. And she wasn't an abusive person. It was just normal parenting at that point. But then by the nineties, my baby sister, it was totally different. Do you know what I mean? So it was a different, different era by the 90s i think and i mm-hmm. you know so i think the 80s we kind of became aware of it then the 90s just sort of started you know that stuff really phased out and by the 2000s i imagine it was pretty i, I don't think i yeah. really you know so but but not going too far into the cultural aspect of him slapping his kid i think the movie <laughs> is positioning it like he does this a little more frequently and a little more harshly yeah than no that, that's what it's i was gonna definitely say definitely a move to make you dislike the father there's no yeah. question there i mean and he's and he's a total a-hole right like he's not oh, yeah. like no, he's a, there's a there's a sense that he that he isn't just doing this for disciplinary reasons but that maybe he enjoys being cruel to the kid and that he maybe doesn't even like the kid there's like that much hostility going on between yeah and so later on when the kid's sitting in his room and like he's got the damien voice and he's like i hope you rot in hell you instead of being just terrified you uh you do you're like you know what i do want to see this guy torn apart by demons you're right kid that'd be fun Mm -hmm. i'd like to point out i think that's the philosophical point of this movie because not like that kid is morally justified (laughs) uh but there's some kind of visceral sense of like primal you know tribe justice that's getting served by it this movie knows its identity this whole this whole horror genre the whole tales from the crypt genre is just people getting revenge you know it's it's just an entirely revenge-based genre with the supernatural element thrown in so i mean it only makes sense but uh but i thought that it was a i thought that the opening felt very promising i mean it it, 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 it was like a very uh, I don't know. It sets the tone. Um, it does. It, it's very stylized. Yeah. It, uh, it immediately tells you what the movie is about with no bones at all. 
because uh, I mean the crypt keeper shows up at the end of it like come on kiddo let's go to the nightmare world it's it's extremely <laughs> brief what is it like two minutes long and it tells you an entire story just like that it's incredible and so and so then after that we, well Adam did you have anything to add for that before we get to the Father's Day segment uh no I, I I will make my disclosure now at this point that I didn't actually watch the movie for the podcast no. I've seen this movie over the years but it's been a long time since I've watched it so there are going to be entire segments of this movie I don't remember but you know just want everyone to be aware of that as I give my opinions here and so um the uh yes, let's all be aware of that Adam yes the um and then the uh <laughs> the the next one is the Father's Day episode which. This is where my I started having that sinking feeling. Um, I, you know what? I, I, I know why, but I've, I've got a, I actually, I've come to love this segment. And okay. I came to love it this very last time I watched it. So tell me all about your nervousness. I, I just didn't I like it. I just didn't segment. like it. It was just like, it, 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 number one, the characters, I, I sort of understood what they were going for, but it didn't, it didn't, they didn't, they just felt too, like too much of a caricature. Of what they were going for. Do you know what I mean? Like it was like it's they, like they the the rich, character. the rich. I, I don't I, like the sort of rich blue blooded sort of family that's you know had money for a long time, and the the accents are all over the place. the The only yeah. character I liked is like the elderly aunt who who kind of her whole thing seemed to be that she was maybe going to try to seduce Ed Harris but he got killed and that never ends up materializing. But there was sort of the, the, there was this like charming quality to her character that was amusing, but, but everything else just, I don't know. And Ed Harris was fine, but he was just playing kind of a dopey husband. I liked how he lit the match <laughs> from behind. I thought that was kind of a cool move, but, uh, and, and I, steal that and I did like the way that they built up the tension with the gravestone falling on Ed Harris's head. Um, yeah. but, but I just couldn't stand the whole Bedelia, my cake. I want my cake. It's, it's, it's I, I, I want my cake. <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah. It's too, it's, it's, it's extremely stupid, right? It's, it's extremely stupid. Here's the thing. Undead revenge plotting. In I, here, my opinion. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay. So I think that this movie very quickly and very, um, without any doubt, had to establish something extremely important about what it's trying to do as a movie. And it had to do okay. it in the first segment. Uh -huh. And here's what it did. Okay. Uh, this is a movie or this is a, this is a segment in which there is no good guy. It's complete moral nihilism. Right. Yeah. But we still have a perspective as the audience, the camera gives it to us and the structure of the story gives it to us, which is this, this guy, the bad guy, by the way, the guy that we kind of wanted to see his head get smashed in with a marble ashtray because he was an awful old man. He crawls out of his grave and he starts going on a killing rampage and he kills all the people we hate in extremely entertaining ways. Okay. And he's not doing it because he's morally justified. He's not even doing it because we as an audience want to see revenge because we don't care if he gets the cake or not. He's doing it because it rules. That's it. He doesn't have a reason. His reason is I want a cake. It's stupid. It's a pun basically. So the moral, the moral reasoning in this movie is saying, look, you need to move your morals aside. You're not here to see good guys be bad guys. You're not even here to see a revenge story. You are here to see the monster crawl out and kill people in entertaining ways. That's what this movie is about. And it is unapologetically, forcefully that at you for the well, first 
15 minutes of this movie. This is a movie about mostly terrible people. I agree with you in that respect. Everybody is guilty of something, it seems, in this film. Um, But there's no real good guy. If I can cut in a second, it's worth at this point, too, bringing up the origin of this genre of comic book, too, because this is a 1950s comic book genre that rose because there was all the censorship against Mm. comic books that came up in the 50s, and they Mm. wanted to get rid of all these horror comic books. And so Tales from the Crypt sold itself by saying, this is a book about bad people having horrible things to them <laughs> because of the bad things they did. So every, every, basically every issue of this kind of comic book is a moral lesson, no matter how yeah. ridiculous or poorly well, implemented it is. It's basically just finding a way to do horror as a moral lesson. Well, and you don't really believe in anyway, but you just have to form it as a moral lesson to well, sell it. So. And that's kind of what I wanted to get at is there what there is still a sense of justice being served in in uh-huh. these stories like 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 the um you know well the 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 crate's a little bit ambiguous maybe but like most of them people well i guess even there what about like, jordy verrill what did jordy do wrong i don't know if he did anything wrong no, there is, a, but he's not a thing. bad person either that's that's a, a that that's, sort of that's a, a well, that's a good point the thing is too jordy verrill jordy verrill is one of the few stories well, the one of the two stories that was not written for this yeah. movie where they just grab they grab the story out of yeah. uh, out of you know off, out of a magazine so it kind of makes sense that it doesn't fit the formula because it is just yeah. that's just the stephen king story but leslie nielsen gets his comeuppance the old man in the bug story gets his comeuppance for being a jerk you know there is there is a sense of uh, you know the universe rectifying even though we're not so. you don't you I don't think that I don't think so. And I think that this story is about that. It's telling the audience that unambiguously. Because, like, think about the, the moral character of the story. Because there's two ways to go about it, right? There's the, we're teaching you a moral lesson, which is false, but we're still teaching it to you because we have to. And then there's the, we're not teaching you a moral lesson, but you kind of want justice as, as a, or at least some kind of satisfying revenge. Well, but, but, but this, there is. This segment, this no, segment but even in this segment, Bedelia kills yeah. her father. Right in and, the prologue, in the pro, right? But, that's the entire moral arc of the oh, thing. No, it's, but then, but then she gets her comeuppance because he comes back from the dead, and gets his right. cake, which she never gave to him. Right, so like, right. But he, here's the thing: it's not like he wasn't a guy we wanted to see killed. We, as an audience, wanted that bloody revenge, and he is a bad person who deserved to die. I well, mean, he, he didn't. No, murder, he deserved uh, to go he, to jail. I think. No, no. Here, here, get the whole thing out. Okay, okay. Let me get the whole thing out, and then you can interrupt after I'm done. That's how interrupting <laughs> works. Okay, so we wanted to see him die as an audience. And he the, the killing might not have been justified in a moral sense, but like he was an awful person who did deserve execution because he was a murderer. He was an assassin. So he's a bad person. So him getting revenge doesn't make any sense in a moral way. And him evening the scales of justice doesn't make any sense on a moral level, right? He's not coming back for justice. He's coming back for a cake. And the thing is, that's saying that the whole morality thing that these were about in the 50s is a joke. It's ridiculous. It's as ridiculous as a premise as a man coming back from the dead because whiskey's full on his grave, and now it's cake time, and everybody's got to pay. We are not there as an audience, nor are they as filmmakers, for any kind of moral reason or even a revenge reason. We are there because monsters coming back and killing people we hate is fun. It's a very slasher movie kind of vibe. And this movie is telling you that in the opening story. That's the actual moral, is that there isn't one. It's cool to see monsters kill people. Go ahead. I, okay, so I think, number one, I think 
I, I agree with you. It's ridiculous in a lot of ways. You know, they don't, they don't, you know, the, 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 the whiskey <laughs> falling on the, baby. The, the, the whiskey falling on the grave. I don't even know if that's what the trigger was, but uh, you know, that seems to be one of the only triggers you can point to for him rising up from the dead. Right. Wait, so, I guess. Whatever. So, so, uh, but, but other than that, like as, as poorly done as it is, I think that it has a moral point of view, which is that Bedelia should not have killed her father, even though, she had justification for her actions in some way there, you know, yeah, she could have left. She could have gone to the police and said, I think my father, killed, you know, there are all kinds of things she could have done. Um, Bedelia, Bedelia is the, the universe is coming back to haunt Bedelia through her father, I think. Um, and the whole bit with the cake is just this ridiculous thing that, you know, I don't know. Again, I don't think it's well uh, done. You want to sweep the cake aside, but I'm telling you, the cake is the point. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it, it's it There's could a be. reason they keep saying it, like, because it doesn't make any sense, right? Why is the cake the central I think, thing? I think, I don't, I, I think we're giving them too much credit. I think they kept saying, you know, oh, I oh, want oh, my oh, cake, Arch. Bedelia, because they thought it was this line that popped out and people would remember and it was kind of funny. It was the catchphrase of the 80s. It was, yeah, I, I think it was like, cake. yeah, I Everyone want my cake. Was saying it. So, oh, yeah. Well, obviously it never took off, but I, I just. Where's the beef of 1982? Where's the Ace of Base once said that I want my cake thing. Remember, I want my cake. Well, I I don't know. I think I think a real song. People all listen to it. I don't think this is an amoral film. I think there is morality, like Adam was saying. Like I think it is hearkening to that type of thing. No, I. But, I'm agreeing with you about morality. I just think it's a Dadaist nihilism morality that's there for well, popcorn entertainment purposes. Well, I think I think I think that we're there to watch really bad people get their comeuppance mostly. I think it's, that's it's, kinda... it's a morality formed by the editor of Mad Magazine looking to put out some horror comics yeah, without, yeah, but without yeah. the moralist getting on his case. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, no, th- <laughs> this is the Bill Gaines uh, fu morality. What me sorry. <laughs> But yeah. but either way, this you know I don't know the old man screaming for his cake. None of that shit worked for me. I'm sorry. It's just it's just I, I saw the only thing this this segment achieves is it is it sets the bar so low that the movie can only go up from here. That's okay. the only thing it achieves. I'm, as someone that last saw this movie twenty years ago, I'm going to say something very damning about this segment. Okay, I right. don't remember it at all. Okay. I have no, you. You have been I have spared. I didn't remember it either. That's why it was such a shock to see it and be like, this is god awful. I feel uh, better knowing you didn't remember either. I was just like, Ed Harris was in this? Wow. You you wouldn't recognize Ed Harris. He was quite young. His hair is still thinning, but it's still, he's Uh, much younger than me. And and also, his acting is not. I feel like, too, there, there are great actors in this movie doing making bizarre choices sometimes. Do you know what I mean? And so I think, I I think that uh, they were instructed to though. Like, I honestly think this was the movie where they were like, okay, we want you to do something they can't see in other movies. Yeah. Like that kind of feels like the stage direction. That was like the consistent through line of this movie. So Um, I will say agreeing with both of you on this, this was my least favorite part of this movie. Like every viewing, I would skip over it. I just feel like, ah, stupid cake one who gives a shit. Get me to the crate. Right. I want to (laughs) say, The crate is amazing, but like Jordy uh-huh. Barrel is really good. Tied you over is a little weak, but then the last one they're creeping oh. up on you is fantastic too. Let's so like let's get to the lonesome death of Jordy uh, Barrel just because you're you're kind of going into that territory. I, I I am kind of, but like yeah, parting thoughts on this. 
I find that it's not as wretched as I recall. I did actually have a really good time getting into it. And it is stylistically a very good blueprint for the rest of the movie. I think it's a good, uh, a good appetizer. I think it serves that role pretty well. And so the lonesome death of Jordy Verrill sort of starts with a, um, a meteor arriving and Stephen King plays this kind of like a, like a hick from Maine, I think. Is that, is that the, uh, yeah. Um, they have them. And so, no, no, I mean, I know I, I'm just saying, but he's like, not like normally in movies when you have like somebody like this type of character there, we usually put them in the South or a place like that. This is a Maine. It, it was a, nice a different to see kind of thing. Hicks that didn't live in one of my home States being represented. It's like, come on the rest of the union. I know you've got Hicks. Don't you hold out on me. And so, 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 you know, so, so it has Stephen King. He basically gets infected with this weird foliage type illness from the meteor that just makes him start to to grow like grass and I don't know it, it, weeds I guess right he says it's based on a story called weeds uh and, and he eventually shoots himself in the head and then we find and then and then we find out that this thing is going to be spreading because we have a beautiful forecast for you know lots of green over the next few days and 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 then they and then the 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 segment ends with like a uh, a sign to different towns leading from Maine. In Boston was actually one of the signs on there. I think indicating yeah, I this thing that. is going to spread. I'm pretty sure that's a fake sign. I don't think I've ever seen a sign like that. But like you get the point that. Um, <laughs> but this there's, there's something amazingly quaint about a wooden sign shaped like an arrow that says Boston on it. <laughs> Where is the taking place? Yeah, I, maybe it exists. I've just never seen a sign like that. I question its existence. Um, so, so Joel, yeah, you like this. signs like that in Massachusetts. They're probably not anywhere in the U.S. Yeah. Then that's my guess. Yeah. <laughs> maybe in '82 we still had some. I don't know, but I haven't seen any lately. Um, yeah. So, so uh, Joel, you like this one. So why don't you tell us what you liked I about? Love it. Love this one. Okay, so first of all. It's it's almost entirely just Stephen King, right? Yeah. They they put Stephen King in coveralls and they're like, "We want you to be as stupid as you can." He's like, "You got it, balls," and he's really convincing as a wide-eyed hick. And this is almost from a guy who grew up. Gourmet, but I, I know, know, right? But that's the thing. Like, <laughs> as a guy who grew up, it's surrounded by wide-eyed hicks. Like, this guy is like not super though, far into caricature territory. No. Though I gotta say, I don't think he was doing a main voice. He was doing like a southern no. voice wasn't he like he, no his main voice was it i i, no, I can't remember it, but. it was well i mean listen to the lines like that's the ticket that that's not how no. you would say it if you were from the south that's a northern kind of twang and it, it is a very uh hick kind of twang but northern hick is different than southern okay. hick. they got different kinds of ways of saying stuff so one of the reasons i always loved like i loved his super exaggerated uh main accent in this quite a bit because um, it's rural, right. it rust and and accents tend to rusticate. I note in the same way where you just kind of like start getting lazy with like hard uh, consonants and things like that. Things and slow it's, down. Yeah. Things slow I, down, and then you I, emphasize things a little more, and it just it always they always do that. It's weird. But yeah, uh, apparently my great grandfather who lived in the outback of Australia spoke about this fast from everyone that knew him. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess a main to me a main accent always sounded like a boston accent really slow i guess that kind of mm -hmm. makes sense um, slow down just a little more and you get jordy Verrill. Uh, so he he murders this role to me uh it's a beautiful yeah, blend I, of 95 percent comedy to five percent pathos and yeah. um 
Did I mispronounce pathos just now? That's fine. It's fine. Nobody's He's getting care. into my the, the fungus is getting into my brain. No, folks. no one's gonna care. No one's gonna care. I, I love the way in which he dies a lot because uh, it's kind of he doesn't fight at all. Like he sort of just accepts his fate oh, the second the meteor shits on him. He's watching TV. I mean, he's still watching TV while this is happening to him, right? And he's drinking I, beer. I love and, that. You know, he doesn't. Well, that's the whole, you the whole thing of being afraid that you know i'm I'm gonna let this just take my body over because i might get my finger cut off or something too it's just <laughs> yeah. it's, it's it's pathetic in a very real way and you can yeah. you can kind of relate to it to an yeah. extent too it's like oh you know it, it doesn't make sense but i understand it yeah it's it's a it's a dim bulb you know like a limited intellect making the best decision it can and very with the very few options it can actually imagine um, I love the segments where he's imagining going to the college and there's a smart guy yeah. there. He's just an old dude in a coat. Like, that's a damn fine meteor. <laughs> and he's like, I'll be $100. My meteor, my price. I could quote every line from this. <laughs> I love it so. Because he delivers it with this wonderful blend of sincerity and idiocy. <laughs> just, it's so goddamn charming and funny. It, it makes me laugh every time. And then when he pours the water on it, it breaks it half. And he's just like... And it's this amazing, like, Home Alone-esque reaction where <laughs> he broke the meteor, now it's not good anymore. Like, that's his understanding of meteorology. Or not even meteorology, it's not even meteorology. I'm, I'm, I'm getting dumber thinking about this. It's the Jordy Barrel effect. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 apartment I, of meteors in his mind, I love that. I, I did like that. I liked his imagining of the university. Uh, I didn't like this segment. His acting bothered me a lot. Like really? Stephen King's acting always kind of, unless it's like a cameo, like it wasn't Sleepwalkers where it's like, okay, he's in and out. And like, you know, you're just getting a taste to King. You're not getting the full, you know, we got to watch this guy as a character for a long time type of thing. But in this one, oh my God, I just, it, really? it, it, yeah, it, it annoyed the bejesus out of it. I just, I, I couldn't, <laughs> I, I couldn't stand yeah, I could anything he was doing. And I couldn't stand his exact, like, I understand they were going for something cartoony, but it was too cartoon. It's like it needed to, for me, it needed to be pulled back just enough. It was, I don't know. It's all up for you. Always it, in, always it, bad. It was like, you know what it is? It's like, it's, it's like, it's like the cheap version of Ernest is how he feels to me. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh he, man, I showed my girlfriend some Ernest as a cultural <laughs> wow. exchange in the Midwest. She hated that too. I mean, Ernest, Jim I like Ernest. Ernest, I remember Ernest, fondly. But Jim Varney is a, is a physical yeah. But But here's the thing. I hadn't realized yeah. that I Jim those. Varney is charismatic. And and he so is. all that stuff works. Even if it's a really bad, dopey Ernest movie, you but still kind of like him. This is, this is before Ernest. Though, yeah, this right? is before, before this, Ernest. Let's get my yeah. timeline right well, here. Well, is it before Dr. Otto's gloom beam, though? That was the first Ernest movie. I, I, uh, no, Ernest Goes to Camp was the first one. Yeah, it was. Oh, the, no, no, yeah, no, it was. The first Dr. Otto's gloom beam, young Adam. Well, I remember there being Ernest yeah, commercials. Hey, Ernest Hemingway, I'm looking up more important people. We're looking up a far more culturally relevant Ernest. I, I remember there being commercials with with um, actually Ver, Vern is, is yeah him and Vern right? It was him and Vern. Ooh, wow. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Oh wow. What year was Ernest it, Adam? Trivia? What year was it? Eighty five was Doctor okay. Otto in the World of Gloom. But of course, the, the commercials before that. Yeah, the commercials could have been in. I think they were after this, but they were around okay. this time. His first, his first TV special was eighty three. So okay. Uh, 
So similar we're, we're, territory. We're probably, probably like he might he might have had the character on stage around this time, right? He's, he's a comedian, right? Or well, he, improv. He started, I think it was milk commercials was what he was originally mm. in. So it's like probably those milk commercials had started by this point. Okay. But, uh, we're going deep into yeah. the Ernest career. But either way, it, my only point was just that it was just he just felt like a knockoff of Ernest. Even I know it might not have been a ripoff because it might have come first. But he was but a, it, he was a forerunner to Ernest. Well, is the truth. A really crude, <laughs> you know. It, 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 he he he, he is. Well, we would, we wouldn't have Ernest without this. this no, this no, song. I refuse to even consider that <laughs> argument. <laughs> the, I reject your the, reality. Yeah, yeah. The, the, this 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 might have thwarted Ernest from arising if uh, you know if if if, if things oh. aligned incorrectly. Um, yeah, I, I was not a fan. I was not. A fan. I can understand why people like might like it, but I just didn't. I just wanted this segment to end. I, I felt like it didn't have enough going on. Um, I need for me to watch one character do something. I need more than Stephen King acting like a comic book character. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that was I the were... bottom line for me. I wish I could I could uh, actually defend this, but you're you're not wrong about anything you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I as far as it goes, I think the uh, I like the segment, but if I if I were to make an argument against it, which is the one I kind of mentioned earlier, that this actually isn't an EC Comics format. Mm. It doesn't it doesn't have any of the conventions of you know if if this were to be a comic in the fifties, they'd be like, there's no moral dimension to this. Yeah. You can't do it. So it I like it because it is I I I, I kind of like the fact there is one where they did step outside the lines mm. and just did a different kind of Stephen King story. So I'm okay with it, but I can I can get it as not fitting in the movie. And it's and it's short, so it's merciful in that respect. Like I, I wasn't, it, you know, the one uh-huh. the one thing I was happy about was okay, it's over. It's not like I'm not gonna be watching yeah. this for another twenty minutes. Well, um, I, that's another thing I do like about it. I like its brevity. Yeah. I mean, it would be it would be kind of nice if there were a couple other super short segments in the yeah. movie. To well, back. I think what they did is they loaded it, they front loaded it with the short ones, and then we get into the bigger ones. Is mm-hmm. you know that's kind of how it seemed to work, and so. The next one we get into is something to tide you over, which is Leslie Nielsen and Ted Danson. And yeah. And this, both of them doing serious turns, which is yeah. fascinating. Well, well here's what Nielsen is really convincing. So, so number one, this is the one for me that's like the turning point in the movie. This is where it starts to get good. And number two, I think it was really smart to have Leslie Nielsen be the character that he was in this because he's he's a really good sort of straight man. He can play a straight character, but he's also really good at the comedy. And so when this character gets weird it works. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's like a really interesting, I, I I'm having trouble imagining other people in the role. Do you know what I mean? Just like, yeah, I, I don't like, know who else could have done this. Like, um, that uh, you really need someone who has the full range that a comedy actor can bring to it. Cause mm-hmm. when he has his breakdown, when the, the waterlogged ghosts come in, he goes insane on camera in the yeah. most convincing way I've ever seen put to film. Well, and like, also, holy, it really nails it. When he, when he's yeah. saying crazy things like, you know, you know, well, I'm insane. I'm crazy. You know, he's like saying, like, I'm insane when it comes to things that belong to me. You know, the diet, like the, with the wrong actor saying that it's just not going to work. But but he he just pulled it. He's got that weird sweater on on the beach. You know, it's just this yeah, it's just yeah. everything about it is just so all of the touches in this one worked for me, you know, because yeah, I. I no, I did see Leslie Nielsen in a movie this week, so he he has been on my mind a lot. So go, man, Leslie Nielsen was just so, and it was a serious one that I saw him in a uh, Poseidon Adventure, you know. Oh. But uh, um, but yeah, he he's he's just fantastic in anything. I mean, he really really yeah. makes the segment. Yeah, he's he's just he's always a joy, and like and Ted Danson is pretty young in this. I think he was still on was was Cheers even on the air 
when when this came no, out? No, this was this is pre Cheers. This is Cheers pre-cheer. was like eighty four, maybe. I think. Okay, but uh, for some reason, I remember Cheers being on earlier, but uh, it might I'd be eighty three, maybe. But okay. it's it's not. It's definitely it, not uh, eighty two. It's a very young Ted Danson, and uh, and he definitely uh-huh. has not become Ted Danson yet. Like he feels unmolded by <laughs> acting experiences that he later gets or something. You know yeah. what I, mean? um, I do have, I do have a great Ted Danson story from the filming of this movie though, that I saw in an interview a few years ago, which is <laughs> when they were doing the shot with him underwater and basically where his head's in there. It's like they, all he was doing that day was showing up to do that shot. Mm-hmm. And so Savini, the special effects guy, was like offered him a joint before. It's like, you're not doing any acting or anything. Go ahead. That's like, oh, okay. I just got super high <laughs> and then had to have his head put underwater in this tank and said, being high during that scene was not, not a good idea. I can imagine. So, so whenever you watch that scene from now on, think that he's freaking that out. That actually makes so sense because that scene yeah, really stands yeah, out. Too. The look on his face, he looks very different. So did did Savini yeah. do that on purpose to get that effect? Do you think it's possible? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe. <laughs> Give him the I never strong actually... one. <laughs> <laughs> well, because he just he just his eyes look different. Everything about him looks different under the water like that, and it's 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 like yeah. alarming. Um, the, I, I was also wondering just how they did it in general because the whole premise is Leslie Nielsen finds out that Ted Danson is having an affair with his wife, and he says, "If you want to find out, it's kind of like that movie." I can't remember the name, but the movie where the guy buries, he has to get buried alive to find out what happened to his his girlfriend that disappeared. Uh, I think it was The Vanishing or something. Um, it's oh, yeah. a similar premise where there he's like, a movie. wasn't that didn't that come out like the same year too? I just well, there was a that. French version of that movie, and then there was an American version that came out with um, what was uh, the, the guy... year of burying people on beaches. Wow. I think it was at, I think it was a few years <laughs> later though. I think it was like eighty six oh, okay. that that came out. Um, but anyways. You know, you, you come with me to the beach, and I'll show you'll, you. You can find out what happened to her, where she is. And you know, he forces Ted Danson to bury himself to his head in sand as the tide is coming up. And then he brings a TV out, and he shows the tide coming up on the woman. And I mean, it's horrible. Nobody wants to die this way. And uh, and watch the person they love die this way at the same time too. Uh, yeah. Like, that it's really and, a grim premise. And and I'm going to use an overused word from my vocabulary, but Leslie Nielsen just has this avuncular quality as a villain in this role. It's just it's right. you know it's it's it's, it's very word. yeah it's a perfect word for for his character here. And I think I think the sweater really kind of is the thing <laughs> that ties it all together. Um, you know, he kept a fart machine in his pocket yes. and would just screw up whatever take he wanted with it. I, I love Leslie. He Nielsen used to use that on interviews too. Because he, <laughs> <laughs> he had the perfect straight man face, where he just like like amazingly like serious delivery that you knew something was slightly off about, and you just could yeah. never quite put your finger on it. That sweater goes along with that. Well, it and the sweater makes months. you uncomfortable because it's getting sand in it, and it's like a knitted sweat. You know, it's just something about yeah. that sweater. I don't know. I, I was fascinated by the sweater and the texture of the sweater during the scene. Um, but, but yeah, no, it, it, I'm very curious how they did that. How like were, they couldn't have been buried in the actual sand like that. Right. Cause that would have been a hazard if, if the tide went a wrong way. Right. Or was it a fake tide in like an area where the tide wasn't going to come up? That's, that's, I was really curious how they did this. Um, or is it just really easy to get out of that? And they were making it look difficult, you know? Um, 
I've been buried in sand before, like at a beach, and like it's pretty hard to get out of. Is it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And like, that's when I was laying on my back and just had to kind of wiggle, and I, I could kind of rely on being able to like shoulder my way up mm. the sand. I couldn't imagine being buried such as that I was oriented vertically. Like, I don't know if I can get out of that. No. I also think it's a lot harder than people. I don't intend to find that out. That is just, you know, that yeah, just sounds I, awful. Um, <laughs> Mythbusters on this one. Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's. <laughs> Um, I don't think I'd even want to see them do it. I think I'll just assume it's bad. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but I like this one. This one was good. You know, the Ted dancing comes back from the dead. There's again, there's no real explanation for why that's maybe one of the shortcomings of these yeah. movies is that they don't really give you a good reason for why things happen, but it's I thought true it was... the comic books too. So, okay. Yeah. Just here's so some monsters. Yeah. Which I'm so fine with, with this style. It's just that the dead will come back and get you if you did something bad to them. That's just the way this yeah, universe works. It's, it's <laughs> the function of the, and I think that we're going back to the function of how these comics were had to be constructed. There's a moral lesson to it. If you murder people, they will crawl out of their graves and force you to die in an ironic way. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I, and I thought I thought that stuff was all effective. Like it was just a, the the building of, like if they had just built up to him killing Ted Danson, that would have been a good good section of the movie do you know what i mean but then mm-hmm. yeah to have the whole they give thing you, after they give you that then they also give you the revenge and actually yeah. i love the the part where the, again the waterlogged ghosts are coming up and he takes his gun and has the clarity of mind to shoot one right between the eyes zombie style and we get to see it like there's a hole in the forehead and then a bunch of seawater and brains blow out the yeah. back and they're just like totally unfazed i love that well, mm-hmm. and, and I just love how Leslie Nielsen's character is one of these guys who you can just tell is just so used to being in control and so overconfident yeah. and so cocky. Like he goes home, after, he just watches it on the monitor with like a, you know, with a drink, you know, what I mean? he's just, he's just yep. so calm as he's doing all this. And, uh, it's just, the, the whole, the, you know, I, I really liked this one. I thought it was good. I liked the way that it opened. I liked, I liked, I liked everything about it. Just how, you know, it starts with that whole exchange with Ted Danson and Leslie Nielsen. And, and that's the way it builds that's such up. an important moment because like he's like dancing is in great shape you know mm-hmm. he's tall and he's muscular and Leslie Nielsen is like this little avuncular grandpa looking yeah. dude and the way he gets into the scene and just totally asserts himself and yeah. utterly gets mm-hmm. control of the situation from his introduction is incredible and he yeah. sells it in a way that the character seems very dangerous and intelligent in a, in a frightening way love it and so, I don't know, anything else to add on this one before we get to the crate? I will say this. Uh, this used to be one of the weaker segments for me, but I've come around on it enormously. I think okay. the acting ultimately redeems this one for a name. Because uh, in, in the fantastic sense, it's not super interesting. Ghosts yeah. come back and kill a guy. Like, it's pretty pretty boilerplate yeah. as far as supernatural revenge well, goes. The details is what sells this one to me now. One thing I was uh, wondering about is, oh, go ahead, Adam. Oh, I was just going to say that, yeah, this, this, uh, for me, this is one that really stuck in my head. It's like this one, this one, the, uh, you know, Jordy Barrel and the crate. Those are the three oh, that man. just always, they just, when I think of this movie, they're what immediately come to mind. I, I did wonder how much res- living near a beach mattered for whether you like this one or not, because Ooh. there's oh. a lot of, a well, lot of the Midwest. Yeah. Well, well, because they, a lot of what makes this one work is how believable the beach feels like, like just how they make me uh-huh. feel like I'm actually at the beach. I don't know how to, and the things that you worry about when you're at the beach, just like little, it just, it, it just resonated because I know what the beach is like. Do you know what I mean? I was wondering, yeah. Oh, if I didn't grow up by the beach, maybe this would have hit a little differently. Um, uh, but I, you know, again, just a thought. 
Yeah, there, uh, there's a kind of primal fear that, and I will say that while I was in the Midwest, I disliked this, and now that I'm in Alaska and there's a <laughs> beach like just down the way, I'm like, well, you know, actually, it is pretty scary. <laughs> it's the Jaws effect, you know? Yeah, because if you're in the Midwest, water that that plays differently. This is yeah. never going to happen to you in the Midwest, right? Like, yeah, no, you know, it's <laughs> a coastal people problem. It'll be fine. What am I going to get buried at a lake? Yeah, big tide at the lake. Go ahead and bury all those coastal yeah. for all I care. <laughs> Take that, you coast dwellers. And I'm on the coast. And I'm like, well, you know, that was kind of a mean thing to think. I'm but, just uh, saying for the record that I am a craven coward. Continue. So the next one is the crate, which I really like. Number one, this one, this one, it's it's about this old crate that they discover from 1834 that has a monster in it. And at first you think it's just going to be a monster eating the faculty, but Hal Holbrook plays this guy who's henpecked by his wife, who's a drunk, and he conspires to to use the situation to have her eaten by the creature. Um, yeah, he uses an instrument of murder, yeah. which I think is kind of impressive. And uh, mm-hmm. and I mean, I love Hal Holbrook. I think I think that Hal Holbrook is one of these guys that he can be a hero or a villain or something. He can be, you, you never really, he's really good at starting out as like a character you think is the good guy and then becoming a bad guy. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so, you know, he's perfect for this kind of role because you, you don't really know where things are going to go with the character. He's just a professor at the university. And, uh, who played his wife in the in the it was movie? Adrian yeah. Oh, she, yeah, Adrian Barbeau yeah. played her. Yeah, yeah. She, she she was really good as sort of the the yeah. bossy, pushy wife. Um, I I what was her name? Wilma was that her name in the movie? Yeah. Everyone calls her Billy. Yeah. <laughs> just just how venomous she was. Just she's just berating him and humiliating oh, him and emasculating God. him, and it's just and building so... over the whole. Hmm? Oh. I love I love that we as an audience get to see inside him as well as the outside because he's so meek and like defeated outside, but inside he has this rich internal life where he's constantly dreaming of ways to murder his wife. Uh-huh. Well, and there's this constant. Uh, there's one thing Stephen King likes to write: it's horrible marriages. It's uh, which is really weird. Like, well, him and his uh, wife have been married forever, and like they <laughs> really seem like they do get along in a fine Maybe. way. Maybe it's because he understands how bad marriages work. Maybe it's one of those situations. Yeah. His, his insight actually keeps them together. But uh, um, but but also that he kind of, you know I I mentioned before the podcast I just binge watched all the Dirty Harrys and Hal Albrook yeah. is in the second Dirty Harry movie. I think it was the second. Um, and it, it, it you know the gun he uses was kind of it's I don't know it sort of reminded me of like a Dirty Harry style gun when he he's in the dream sequence yeah. and he pulls it out and he shoots her and I was sort of like oh, okay the, the having that connection to him being in the Dirty Harry movie but not being Dirty Harry and in this <laughs> one kind of wanting to be more like Dirty Harry maybe it just sort of that is connect, kind of fun. yeah it kind of worked um, it's a charming little bit of connective tissue I like that yeah I like I, when I, movies have little things to do with each other like that. Yeah, I don't know. I thought it, 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 and it was weird. It was just the, the whole. It kind it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the Reanimator for some reason. I don't know why. There's yeah, a, no, mm, you're right. Yeah, has a Reanimator vibe to it. Well, it, the the guy that was in Reanimator isn't isn't he one of the professors in this? Isn't that the same actor? I, I don't know if that's the same. Hold on, let me look that up. I think that's a different actor. Yeah. But, uh but it's well, a he, similar he, actor. He he, 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 resemb- yeah, he is similar mannerisms he sounds the same he looks the same you guys talk about it and i'll look up that fact so we can okay okay um i this is i think this is for me the cherry on top of the sunday for creature i think this is my favorite segment um it's i love the kind of lovecraftian connection of the whole oh there was an arctic expedition in the 1920s and this 
or the 1890s. 1830, I think it was the 1830. Yeah, yeah. This impossible time for this to happen. And we brought back this undying baboon monster that eats everything. <laughs> um, I love the line, how much could it eat? Uh, later on yeah. when he's talking about how many full human beings have been utterly devoured and digested <laughs> by this thing like you're right how much could it eat what is going yeah. on with this thing so it was fritz um, weaver it was fritz weaver it's a different oh, okay. different actor different um, guy yeah. okay um, yeah they similar though um i think yeah, that they, helped invoke that uh yeah but, i think so because they do they, there's definitely a similarity between those two guys um but yeah i'm, I'm sorry i i i don't know that what did you guys think of the monster in this one? How did how did the monster land with you guys? Ooh, definitely a puppet, right? Um, <laughs> like, there's no mistake that it's some kind of weird puppet thing, but still grotesque and interestingly designed puppet. So I I'm okay with it. Um, I don't know if I want to forgive this in the same way I want to forgive some of the intentionally cheesy moments. Mm. I think you are genuinely seeing a limitation of special effects at this point. It's only 82. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's no way the budget for this movie was gigantic. It made a lot of money. But it, it like it itself was not it was not being designed to be a blockbuster. So someone just put a puppet together and they're like, put it on camera as little as possible. We only ever really see it for like a split second when they yeah. open the chest up and it goes roar. Which I think like, was wow, good. It's definitely a hand and a puppet. Yeah, I, I think it's really. I'm fine. I'm fine with like you know because like you say it's it's limitation. They it's the most they could have possibly done with the budget they had. So I'm I'm always willing yeah. to meet, meet a movie halfway if it's got if it's you got have. bad special effects purely because they're doing the best they can with what they have. So yeah, and it doesn't come off as cheesy like uh, yeah. an Ed Wood movie. It comes off as unsettling, and that, yeah. you know what? That's fine. It doesn't. It, it's uncanny in a way that I'm willing to forgive, despite yeah. its clear limitations. Yeah. I, and I kind of, I kind of like some of the corniness of it because I'm reminded, you know, yeah. it is sort of a, a dip into how bad special effects sometimes can be. But I, I thought that the creature's face looked scary. I thought they got, I got, they got a lot of it right. Yes, it just was limited in what it could do. But the, I liked how they built up to seeing it and how you didn't, you know, you kind of had to imagine what it looked like. This was one where I would have, I think it would have probably been a better choice for them to not show the creature at all. I think that would oh, yeah, have maybe been so. more effective. Um, and they were kind of going that direction before the, before you just actually saw like it. disjointed pieces of it, like the yeah. eyes and the teeth and what have you. Yeah, I think, and like most of the kills are like that, where it pulls somebody into the crate. It very mm -hmm. rarely comes out and eats people. So yeah, I, I think probably that would have been a good move. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'm okay with monkey monster. And this is definitely one where we're we're deep into sort of the amoral, everybody's a bad guy <laughs> kind of character. The wife's horrible. The husband who kills her is horrible. The I guess the. The professor, well, the professor who initially finds the thing and is his friend, but isn't responsible for murdering anybody. He's still kind of a bad guy because we see that he's got something going on with the younger female students. Do you know what I mean? He's got yeah. there's something going on with him in, the, in, in, in that respect. And also, he's he's okay to not go to the law, uh, you know, about uh -huh. what the what well, yeah, his there's friend, an you know. comeuppance to both of them in this movie, but we don't see it on screen. Yeah. Like, they really do get away with murder. Yeah. um so yeah that's all it's kind of they kind of have to do the monster reveal at the end i think in order just to be like oh see they're gonna get there, there's gonna yeah. be a comeuppance there will be <laughs> i almost uh, feel like that's that's like a more generally horrific thing because it's not like the monster remembers them specifically he doesn't have vendettas and grudges it's gonna uh, go I, I eat 
Is it's the kind of thing you would sell to the censors if you were writing this in the fifties. Well, sure. You like needed to get it, get it past, get the comics. Oh yeah, no, it's it's a thin excuse. But, but we know yeah. nothing about this creature. All we know is it's from an Arctic expedition, right? So like it might, yeah. it, it might very well want to seek out the guy who threw it into the bottom of the of the reservoir. No, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, yeah, it might want revenge. Yeah. Um, also, I love how confident Halbrook uh, is, or Halbrook is about the. Uh, you know, if you had seen the chains I put on this thing, you'd know that it wouldn't get, he's just so yeah. cocky. And, you know, again, it's kind of like the Leslie Nielsen character where, uh, you know, he, he can't, he can't perceive the flaws in his own plan. Um, and, and it's, it's pretty obvious. That look, I mean, he didn't put chains on hardly at all. Like the thing can like pop open a little, little bit already. So that he's so yeah, confident I mean, the, the is things going to fall in off. Like even if the thing wasn't inhumanly powerful, and even if the chest wasn't a hundred years old and getting thrown into a lake, there are still lots of ways yeah. this could go wrong. And well, uh, maybe he's just thinking with the logic that it's not going to, if it gets loose, it'll go eat somebody else. So it'll be fine. Well, then why bring up the chains? It, like, I know. does anybody it, know? Ghost of Ebenezer Scrooge? Chains aren't going to work, man. In the, in this short story, does any, do either of you know if, if they get more into like what this thing is and, like, was it subsisting on anything during that hundred and so years? I don't have a copy of Skeleton Crew at the moment, so I couldn't uh, couldn't read this one, unfortunately. I don't remember reading this as a short story. That's I weird. think it's in Skeleton Crew, isn't it? I, uh... Hell if I know. Yeah, I don't remember reading this as a short story. Well, it's been a while since I read Stephen King short stories, but, like, this is one that I think would stick out. I still have uh, to honestly, get back to the skeleton crew. So if it's in there, that'll be the first one I read oh, did, again. Did you read a uh, battle of the flexible? I, I, I just read that oh. here. There be tigers story. And then I just kind of lost my oh. steam on, I, I should mention, not, not a good opener. I, oh, I, I'm no. not, I'm, I'm like the non Stephen King fan here. And so I don't, you know, I, I haven't read a Stephen King book and you know, I like some Stephen King movies. I like some, I don't, but uh, I don't have the, the fan attachment to the source material. <laughs> Um, the best yeah, but have. it's it's yeah actually I, i'm wrong it's not in skeleton crew okay. it's it's in class I, I would have read it in classic tales of power and the supernatural that would have been the book Ooh, I, I didn't read that one so i actually uh, don't know 1991 all right so yeah, we, I, missed, I gave that one a miss we Sad. should probably get to the next yeah. one though because we're running out of time we got two more oh, yeah, segments yeah, yeah. to go through um wait <laughs> well huh? let's see including the epilogue yeah Oh, oh, the epilogue. Yeah. So there's, they're creeping up on you is the final segment before the epilogue. And uh, it's about Upson Pratt, who's uh, just oh. kind of like this Howard Hughes yeah. type, but he's some yeah. sort of like, I don't know, I don't know exactly what kind of uh, billionaire he is, but he's clearly got a lot of money, a lot of people employed by him. And he lives in this penthouse suite that's been sealed off from germs and insects. And he's being infested with all of these, um, these roaches seem a little preternatural and it's all happening as there was some kind of big takeover that he was part of and a man killed himself as a result of the way that this was all done and the man's despondent wife calls and says that she hopes ups and pratt dies and it seems to me that there's like perhaps some indication that she might be doing something to uh to cause these bugs that eventually kill ups and pratt you know whether whether it's deliberate or whether just the emotions of her anger are causing the mm-hmm. the cosmos to respond with uh with 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 with, with de- you know human devouring roaches. Um, but this was a weird one. This was a really unusual one. I don't know. Uh, uh, you know, I I I liked it, but um, 
but it did kind of have an odd tone and it kind of landed in an odd way. I don't know. Do you remember this one, Adam? Or I, I remember it. It's, it's, it's hard for me to comment on the tone now for 20 yeah. years ago. It's yeah. like, I remember liking it. And well, of course, I mean, what's one this has going for it? I'm just cockroaches are just so viscerally unsettling to yeah. most people anyway, that, uh, you know, I mean, for me, I spent a lot of my childhood in a place with roaches that were like about, you know, two inches big. So I, I do not like roaches. No, if, you, if you've had roaches, this will resonate yeah. for sure. Yeah, when I was a kid, um, we lived in a, not a flop house, it was my Uncle Mike's house, but he had a horrific roach infestation. And the whole roaches between the the glass and the the medium that's projecting the screen on electronic things, like uh, mm. digital boxings like that, that's real. That really yeah. happens. And it's it's a nightmare. The whole yeah. pouring out cereal and a bunch of roaches scurrying out. That happens. Yeah. Yeah. That, this a lot of the a lot of the roaches in Kuwait fly too, and oh, flying, flying roaches. roaches. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I I, I so, just remember them scurrying from under the coffee maker when you'd go to make coffee. That was the big thing I remember about roaches. Oh yeah. God, I hate yeah. them. Yeah, that one bothered me the most because that's like the first ritual of waking up and to oh, to be greeted with roaches. Yeah, it, it's infuriating. Um, yeah. So, so anybody who's experienced roaches will have the venom for them needed uh, for this. Oh, this, yeah. this roaches, roaches are just a great horror movie special effect, yeah. just because yeah. you know they're roaches but, and they immediately do all the work for you. But this is yeah, one that's also. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, they just looking at pictures of roaches enough, seeing them move is is stomach turning. Yeah. I hate them so much. Yeah, I'm not a roach fan at all. Um, and uh, and the uh uh. Uh, this this segment is kind of like I forget the name of the character, but the Stephen King segment with the weeds, where it's basically one character. There are people talking to him on the phone. There's a yeah, guy that shows up at his part. door, but like it's basically you're there with one actor in in a room. Um, and I think I think again this one worked better for me because the I liked the actor's performance a bit, and and the yeah. premise was more engaging for me. Do you know what I mean? It was just I, I thought a more it felt like more real horror to me than the one with stuff's growing on Stephen King. Um, <laughs> you know, like that didn't feel particularly scary for some reason to me, but this for one, me, that's really the idea of something kind of growing and kind of just growing into your skin. It just, no, well, that's, no, but, that's yeah. like, that's like a that's serious, let, serious, no, let me, let me restate that. The idea is scary. I'm terrified. Body horror is, I think the implementation was yeah, too goofy yeah. for me. So it just didn't okay. land. It um, is a touch goofy. Yeah, I can see you'd bounce off it. I, 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 I just that, found the found the humor mix of humor and horror in that. Like it's just at the right mm -hmm. pitch for at least twenty years ago. Maybe now I'd agree with you, but 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 in, and in this one, there's a lot of humor too. But it just works better for me. I don't know. I, um, well, it's it's a it's a more urbane kind of humor. Like whenever the mm -hmm. uh, the guy mm -hmm. that's in charge of the apartment like is condescending to Mr. Pratt and he's yeah. all like, well, hello, Mr. Pratt. <laughs> yeah. That was like so powerful, condescending customer service energy. I yeah. loved it. That guy is uh -huh. my hero. And, um, and what I loved about that is you don't really know, is that the guy really doing that? Or is that Mr. Pratt paranoid? Oh, interpretation. Yeah. Cause, cause yeah, he's, cause so everything cool. we're getting is kind of from Mr. Pratt's perspective. So it's you, 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 like, oh, that's, that's a really good insight. I like yeah. that. I kind of like that idea. Well, because, yeah, because he's, I mean. Well, he, and he, 
he's literally distorted in that camera. It's a fisheye lens. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. actually a cool reading. I like that. Bro. Yeah, I, I got that impression. And also just the fact that, like, you don't even know if the roaches are real. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, you, you know, like, this, this could all... Because this guy, he, he sounds like a crazy guy who's, like, just obsessive-compulsive about bugs, right? And he, you know, he, yeah. and he's getting distracted from really important things to tend with the, to the bug problem, right? Like, like, there's stuff going on with his company that he definitely needs to tend to, and he's not. And, you know, the bug problem is his focus. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. I, I, I thought I thought it was an interesting. One. Also, this one gets into the stuff that Adam was talking about with the 50s because it's got the it's got the jukebox player and it's very yeah. minimalist design, which which fits because he's supposed to be a germaphobe. So he'd obviously, you know, have like the the sterile white environment. It's like all tiles and stuff, uh, mm-hmm. but he's got the jukebox and that keeps playing old fashioned like 40s and 50s music, I think, from, uh, you know, it's like, like stuff that I used to hear when I'd go to my grandfather's house uh, in Revere, you know, so like just that kind of a thing. And um, uh, so, yeah, I don't know what you, you know, Adam kind of talked about it. Joel, what did you think of this segment? Um, this is one of the ones that stood out to me. Uh, I always kind of thought when I was younger that I liked three fifths of Creepshow and I liked mm-hmm. the wraparound. You okay. know, I tied me over, never really struck me super hard. And Father's Day, I felt like was the weakest one. Yeah. Now I think I love all of it. Okay. Uh, and I I remember, uh, uh, again, I was I was showing this to my girlfriend to kind of ballast my nostalgia a little <laughs> bit. And uh, she pointed out that they actually give the price figure for how much his penthouse apartment is. And it's like $3,000. And I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about that until she pointed out that like that, um, that hurt. Yeah. Hearing that was painful. Yeah. Um, but I like this. Uh, like you said, I like that it's kind of a single character piece, but I think the acting, and even like looking at it objectively, the acting is more reined in and it's more acting. It's, yeah. it's like the exaggerations are a kind of exaggeration that's not theatrical or comedic. They're just exaggerated in a way that's that's disciplined. And so the it, when you contrast it directly with Jordy Verrill, I think you have to consider this the stronger of the two pieces. Even though I like Jordy Verrill more, I think it appeals to me more, I think that a significant part of that is just my own weird bias towards well, seeing Stephen King clown around on camera. And what even do you, what do you really think of the? Oh, oh go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, even though I didn't like that one, I do think you're right that they mirror each other in that way. Like there is, there is definitely like a um, Jordy Verrill is likable, and something awful like this <laughs> kind of happens to him. And this guy is so detestable. And you but know something you know, so grotesque yeah. happens to him that you still sort of feel bad yeah. for him. I don't know. I, I didn't have any empathy for this guy oh. by the end of the. the yeah. uh, Maybe it was like an animal empathy of I don't want I don't want bugs to be on anyone. You know, yeah, whenever he had yeah. a, a cockroach crawling up his arm and he was like freaking out and trying to bat it away, I just oh full body. But if they kind of horror, uh, if they gotta be on you somebody, are, if you're human, you're on the same side with us against the cockroaches. That's yep, just in the broader scheme of things, it's us against the bugs. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but this guy is just, so, I mean, there's nothing likable. About no, him. there's nothing no, like no, him. He's wretched. Like, he's I don't know. Ebony's yeah, kind of he, character. yeah. I mean, in the one hand, you do have that empathy where like you are putting yourself in his shoes, but there's also this aspect to it where when he finds the roaches in his food, you're kind of pleased to see that. Do you know what I mean? You're, you're, you're pleased that he's experiencing. Well, yeah, this, it, that's the thing. His discomfort gives you joy because yeah. he's just so awful. He's a terrible it's, person. It, it's a tricky thing. It's like someone that hates cockroaches. It's like, yeah, seeing someone else often get their comeuppance is great, but it's like, it's just, 
I still don't want to deal with it. You know, well, it's and it's really like, gross. Oh. They're by the end, they come out of his eyes and mouth. Yeah. It's really, really disgusting. Oh. Um, <laughs> God, I soup in my mouth a little bit. But uh, but yeah, so oh, you know, I hate it. But I thought that I thought this funny. was very effective. This one, yeah, very effective. It it's affecting certainly. Mm. Oh, oh God! <laughs> if you're in the slightest bit nauseated by bugs, this is going to make you deeply uncomfortable. This yeah, because I'm not. I'm not especially like bug phobic. It's like, you know, when I was a boy scout, I, I, I was nominated the one who would clean the spiders out of everybody's mm. tents and stuff. Cause I was like, yeah, whatever. But it's even in this movie, it just, it just brings it all up. Just that, that yeah. instinctual hatred of bugs. Yeah, and, and you had to push the bug button and it pushes the hell out of it. There's also a great escalation with how many bugs there are versus how mm -hmm. serious the problem is. So mm -hmm. the matter of scale becomes a difference in kind. And I love when that happens. I, that's something ontologically about that that I find fascinating. And again, it's it's beautifully well-crafted. Um, I love the music like you were talking about. It adds something very atmospheric to this whole segment with that kind of like subtly eerie 40s music playing over everything. Because <laughs> it's, it's not wholesome in the way we conceive of it, but it was probably wholesome to the people that were listening to it. To us, it comes off as kind of eerie. Like there's something kind of disquieting about the 40s music. Well, it's, I can tell you- a little too pleased with itself. Th this was definitely <laughs> aimed at a younger audience. And at that time, when I heard music like that, I, I, it would remind me of going to my grandparents' house. Yeah, which I think is what yeah, they my were grandparents trying. would listen to this yeah. kind of stuff. So I think that's yeah. what they were trying to do is go for that. I mean, I could be wrong, but that was sort of my read of it is they wanted you to feel like, you know, you were, they, they really wanted to emphasize to you that this was like you know an old man who was kind of like out out of touch with with the world around him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, literally. Yeah, literally. Uh, yeah, so, there's something kind of Dickensian about him that I really like. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, so, so the epilogue. How do people feel about the epilogue? Where we, we get to see to, <laughs> oh, some to, Tom Savini action in this one, and uh, you do. He, he plays He's he plays a, one of the garbage. Savini, man. Um, Which I think is a very fitting role for a guy who uh, helped make this movie. <laughs> <laughs> like he knew he is like make me the garbage man well and I, uh, I like when I, they're I commenting on all the ads in the comic book you know like all oh, those <laughs> things don't work and uh, you know yeah I, I thought that was pretty funny um, oh, i love the whole when they get to the one with the the voodoo doll cut out and they're like i guess we can't get that one and they just move on yeah <laughs> well, the oh, garbage, but they're just that was just a way of occupying five minutes of time to entertain themselves, yeah. you know. There, and, there's yeah. something, there is something very wonderful about that little, little blue color slice of heaven that we yeah. get to see as they as they trundle through this upper crust neighborhood. And I really like the physical acting in the last part of that, where the kid is like, young Joe Hill is stabbing the voodoo doll, yeah. and his father's just like, Argh! and there's that wonderful like comic book uh coloration in the background it's really it's really I, good i thought that i like that scene i mean again the kid the kid is kind of ridiculously evil but for the type of movie it is you know <laughs> it, works. it works yeah and he's got the voodoo doll and like i like that they this one's at least explained right like nothing in this is generally explained this one you at least know he got it out of the comic book right so it's yeah like, and they, they set it up through the animations yeah. through the movie and it's uh yeah it's it's fun but the uh I, I think I like too. It's just it's like it's, you're kind of you're kind of breaking the cycle at this point, where it's like the kid just this evil kid gets revenge on his evil father, and there's no comeuppance for yeah. him. It's just like the cycle has been broken. We're now freed 
freed from the whole EC comic cycle. So, <laughs> yep, they can just be evil for the sake of entertainment. Like and God, the eighties were poor. Well, and this is getting into that era of garbage pail kids and kind of like exactly. you know, like like a, a a kid culture that probably looked horrible from the outside, right? Like for us, it was oh, great, I'm but sure it was yeah. So, but we, but they probably thought we were a bunch of little you know creepy shits or something. Do you know what I mean? Just I like was. I, mean, I, was. Yeah. I don't know about you. But... <laughs> We did as, our, as adults. We were definitely creepy shits. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I I just think that you know this really feels like uh, it's kind of got that spirit to it, that garbage pail yeah, kid yeah. spirit. Um, yeah. And 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 I don't know. So yeah, I thought I thought this was a good segment, and 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 I and I like how it ties it up. Um, and again, I thought I thought it was nice. You know the, the I don't know the garbage man scene. Even though it's kind, it's almost like a. It it almost doesn't even need to be in the movie except to show that the that he got the doll. But I I yeah. still I thought it was like a fun exchange. Um, it is. It's a really what? good outro to the entire film. You know, it puts a good say, bow on it. I've noticed blue collar interludes are a recurring theme in eighties horror movies that we've we've gone through. I've noticed it's it's like kind of a common thing just to have well, you, a little, you know, little aside. Here's there. why I think number one I think uh, a lot of horror fans are blue collar people. I think you know what I mean it's yeah. more of like a blue collar genre. But number two, yeah. I think when you work blue collar jobs, there's a lot of downtime to just it's kind of like the clerks thing. Do you know what I mean? Where, yeah. you know, oh, you yeah, get to have yeah. all these interesting conversations that you probably wouldn't get to have if you were working in an office job where it's kind of more. I mean, I know I'm sure interesting conversations do happen in offices, <laughs> but like I feel like I've had way more interesting conversations working as oh, delivery yeah. or a fish market or whatever than. Yeah, I work in retail. There's times where you literally are just standing there with one other person and there's absolutely nothing to do, yeah. which doesn't, it's less like, it can happen in an office, of course, but you can generally find something to do in an office in a way that you can't when you're just well, when in, you're a, in a pinned in. Huh? When you are pinned in with management and they are right there, even if they're not trying to micromanage you, they are. Uh-huh. Their presence micromanages you. When the yep. boss is gone and you're just at the counter with your coworker and the it's the middle of the night and one's going to come in for the next five hours. Yeah. You, you talk about creepy comics that you happen to find in the garbage or whatever. It's, it's such yeah. a genuine yeah. moment. Yeah. yeah. And you have more, more of those kinds of conversations. I, again, I, I have very limited experience in offices, but the, the few experiences I did have, number one, that stuff didn't happen. And the types of conversations were way more, uh, I don't know how to put it. There was just more self-censorship, more, you know, just more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's the culture in offices. Yeah. And it, I got to tell you, when I worked at a meatpacking plant, uh, that's when I thought of some of the coolest ideas I ever had gaming-wise and then had some <laughs> of the best conversations I read. Because, I mean, like you're feeding logs of meat, meat into a tube. You know, like this isn't – first of all, there's something wonderfully grotesque about that. And second of all, like you have to be in the same room with five other people that are doing this with yeah. you and part of a team. So you have to work together and have to find – you naturally have to find some page to get on. And if it's a bunch of dudes your age, this is exactly the kind of subject that you would come across. Uh, I actually created one of my favorite games, Body Hunters, in that one. Did you guys ever tell you about Body Hunters? Oh, man. No. <laughs> so no really I, 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 yeah, I, I, I work... I'll, have, I'll have to write it down. I, it deserves to be yeah. written down. <laughs> no, but uh, I, I worked uh, like at a place that, as a cook at a place where we made all our own burgers, where I, so I'd have to come in and spend a lot of time making all these burger patties and stuff. And it was like, by the time I was done with that, just I smelled of meat. I just irrevocably smelled of yeah. raw meat for the rest of the day. And so I, I don't know, just just your story just kind of brought That's, that memory up again. That smell of myself well, just smelling like decaying cow. 
But, uh, <laughs> when I worked in a fish market, it would you you had to you had to segregate your clothes. Do you know what I mean? You had to like silo clothes so that like you were only wearing the clothes huh. for the fish market because the fish market yeah. clothes would smell like fish market. And yeah. you would smell like fish. You had to take a shower when you got home too. There was no, <laughs> no, it, it was like being a garbage man, probably. You know what I mean? Just, there's yeah. no way of getting around it. Um, yeah. But going back to your point, Brandon, it's like, yeah, if you're, if you're in an office, everything you say, you're thinking, how is this going to affect my quarterly review? Yes. What, yes. what are they, how are they going to turn this on me? Whereas if, if you're out with the other guy you collect the garbage with, nobody cares yeah. what talking about. So, and it's, yeah, so it's because it, yeah, yeah, I mean, the entire paradigm is different. Even even now, even now at corporate place, anywhere that's corporate now has that office environment feel. Yeah. It's like mm-hmm. I when I when I worked at a big box bookstore, which will remain unnamed. I uh, <laughs> I it's like I was talking to my supervisor one day, and he was just complaining about the management and stuff, just venting about all this stuff, and I'm just like, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I like literally he was throwing everything out. And I was agreeing. Then my next quarterly review, it's like, yeah, we're, we're really not happy with your attitude towards the management here. So we're not going to be able to give you a rate. Maybe if your attitude improves. Oh, wow. uh, yeah. yeah that's... <laughs> but, but things like that really wow. make you think I am I am not going to talk to any of you people ever unless I have to. <laughs> yeah. They, oh, God. And so, but yeah, but I, I but I do think there is too. something about all that being more part of naturally part of the horror genre. Like the horror yeah. genre is not. I mean, I know, and again, this is kind of why we've touched on this in the past. Why I have some resentment towards the art house horror movies because yeah. they 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 elevate horror into this sphere that it traditionally just hasn't been in for me. Do you know what I mean? Where I always think of it as like it's it is like the working man's you know medium. Well, or, or, or genre. And there's different. And, there's different ways that different kinds of people interact with horror. Like I, yeah. as a kid that kind of grew up in that blue collar strata of society, a lot of these these the parts of this elicited delight in me. But then as mm-hmm. I've gotten older and I've gotten a little more successful and I'm I'm, I'm cl- like climbing up to that white collar dimension of society, <laughs> I'm looking at these things and I'm like, these are actually kind of frightening. And I think it's just because my perspective has changed. Yeah. Like. When you're in the blue collar looking up, these are punching up. These are like, yeah. oh yeah, get all those blue bloods, show them who's boss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But as you be, as your blood goes from red to purple, as you as you rise up the strata <laughs> and the bend sets in, and you get really nervous about where you are in society, and you're like, oh no, this shit could happen to me. I don't want to get eaten yeah. by roaches. Well, no, and and that's important because <laughs> the most sympathetic character is the Stephen King character, who's like the he's not he yeah. he's not one of these white collar people, but all the other ones are like blue bloods or professors mm-hmm. at elite universities or you know <laughs> a mogul right like those are the yeah. that's you know to, to so. back up your point i mean horror horror is rooted in powerlessness i mean yeah. ultimately that's some element of all horror so it's yeah. like being being in jobs where you don't have any say on what's going <laughs> in just feeds into feeds in the same direction well, and i think that also gets into the point about the guy in the uh in the previous segment with the bugs um what's uh-huh. what was the name of that one again that was um they creep up on you they creep up on you where the where the where the man who's in charge of the manager of the building is kind of mm-hmm. even though again maybe he's a figment of this guy's imagination in some way or whatever <laughs> but or a distortion but it is like the working man getting his revenge on the mean boss right because he's just yeah, yeah. kind of you know, and also he was black too, and that came up as part of the oh, thing. Oh yeah, where yeah, where at first yeah. the guy is like, you know, 
he's almost treating him better because he's black. But then when things start going the way he doesn't want him to, he starts yeah, complaining about it. Yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, this... it's the whole the whole uh, you know fake front of not being racist thing is pretty well represented there. Well, and I think it's also I think it's even deeper than that. It's more like this guy is just he's at the apex of society, and so uh-huh. he can you know you're only useful to him as long as you're doing what he wants. And the moment you yeah, don't, that's true. he just, whatever qualities you have, those are going to become negatives. Do you know what I mean? Anything he praises you for can be used as an insult a second later. Well, even, uh, his, even his praise is tinged with this kind of condescending yeah. racism. Oh, your people often go far in service jobs. And the guy's like, uh-huh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, uh-huh. I love how much the dude is in control of the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, dude, I'm hitting this button and you're going away. That's how it works. I, God, that energy. Which, is which again, relatable. maybe you were kind of wondering where all this is coming from. That's another possibility. Maybe it's the manager, the building manager's revenge. He would be one of the few people <laughs> in a position. Big things to, of flesh eating. Well, well, because this is, <laughs> you know, Take this you uptight son of a bitch. The only other, the only other person that we can think of is the wife on the phone, right? So I don't know. It, it, it's interesting to think about, but but anyways, we've gone on probably way too long about Christian. An hour and twenty minutes. Um, okay. So, uh, but I don't know. Any parting thoughts on Creep Show before we uh, before we head out? Uh, I I absolutely love Creep Show. If you're gonna see a movie that Stephen King was very involved in, this is one of the ones that I think is like the very top. Like, because you can't really give him the shining. That's Stanley Kubrick, right? And there's a few others that we have on our list to watch that are really good. But this is one of the ones where, like, he was very creatively in control of it with Romero. And it's enormously entertaining. Uh, It's certainly one that you have to understand you're going into an exaggerated version of reality. And it's intentionally corny. But once you swallow that pill, this is one of the best movies of its type. So a high recommendation from me. And I mean, I, I again, the, the the first two segments I thought were pretty weak, but I think overall it's a, it's a good it's it's a good horror movie. And, uh, you know, it, you know, it, it, my memories of it are a little different rewatching it. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I have I, mm-hmm. I remembered it more positively, but I still enjoyed myself <laughs> a lot. And 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 the segments that I liked, I liked a lot more than I remembered liking. So, you know, there was that. Uh but yeah, it's it's, also, it's, oh, go ahead. You know, it's also this is also a good early horror movie for people that are like not 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 adults getting into horror, but for like people that are just reaching that age where you're yeah. at the <laughs> point where you can handle a horror movie. It's yes. a really fun. It's a really fun movie for that age, which is yeah. the age I first watched it at. Yeah, so, this uh, is a really good teenager like sleepover yeah. kind of movie. That's yeah, a good, that's it's, a good observation. And it's it's fun because as it is a corny movie you if you're watching it with a, with a group of your friends and you're 14 years old i mean you you can you can appreciate the movie and make fun of the movie at the same time yeah. so you've got every yeah. uh every option at your disposal all right so i guess we're gonna head out and what do we know what stephen king movie is next on our list or is that i have no idea all right. All right, so we'll there, do there's some gems on there well we'll, yeah. well i know that i know that we I, I I I haven't seen the list in a while, so I don't want to say anything. But <laughs> right. we we got some Stephen King coming your way. It's uh, gonna blow your mind. Yeah. What movies we picked, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> so all right, so uh, we'll head out, and until next time, we'll talk to you later.